in. And I thought it'd be interesting to discuss Morocco. Um, Kathy mentioned last week, you know, you want to go to Morocco. I've been very interested always in going to Morocco. Uh, Sue went to Morocco. You were there for how many days? Uh, nine days. Nine days. And um, I happened to meet um, Reda. And I met him at the Tribute to the Stones. Uh, that was happening, um, the Exiles on Maui show. And found out he's a neighbor. He literally is right around the corner here. He owns Evolution Yoga Studio. And congratulations on that. Are you how many years? About a year? About a year. We uh, opened December 5th, uh, 2017. And I found out that you actually um, were born in Morocco. Yes. And you have family there still. Yes, my siblings and mom still live there. So we thought we'd dedicate the show to Morocco, and I want you to chirp in with questions to Kathy. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting, um, having been born in Morocco, in Casablanca? In Casablanca, yes. Which is an interesting place because that's kind of an international city, right? Yes, so there's um, it's a melting pot. And you have influence from Africa, Europe, the Middle East... You know, and now more so since um, I would say the early '90s, the United States. So it's a very interesting place to be. Uh, and know. how many times have you seen Casablanca? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't get away from that movie, right? You you can't. I mean, I've seen it uh, as a child. You know, and um, we were talking about that last week, and it's so funny that um, there is an American expat in Casablanca that opened Rick's Cafe. Mm -hmm. That is just beautiful. In mm -hmm. a beautiful area in the city. And probably all tourists. Did you go there, Sue? <coughs> we did go there, but unfortunately it was 11 a.m. and they weren't open for lunch yet, so we took a picture standing out front. So okay. anyways, <laughs> but yeah, that was the, the day we started um, at the mosque in mm -hmm. Casablanca, which uh, Retta and I were talking about earlier. Um, it was built by the king and all the people of Morocco, I'm assuming, or is it just Casablanca? All the people of Morocco. Morocco contributed to it, and it holds 25,000. Wow. Worshippers, so um, wow! It's it's beautiful. It has water features and the marble. It's got to be huge. It is. It's huge, and it's right on the Atlantic Ocean. It's it's a beautiful setting. It's really gorgeous. And in Morocco, um, if you're not Muslim, you cannot go into a mosque. This is the only one that you can tour, and they have tours at 10 a.m. in the morning, um, in different languages, and it's an hour tour. And it was really very very interesting about the construction and everything. So, it's a beautiful building. So I guess, let's start with the the basis. Um, obviously, Morocco, I would imagine, is mainly um, a Muslim country. Mainly Muslim country, and um, I think the 1%, so mostly I would say 99% is Muslim. Then you have half a percent of, uh, there, are, there are Jewish Moroccans and <coughs> Christian expatriates. Mm -hmm. so. And they would worship at a few yeah, there, there are churches, churches uh, and uh, synagogues. Mm -hmm. yeah. But because it's such an international city, it seems like they have been able to be um, beyond or a little bit above, and we talked a little bit before the show about this, how they've been able to avoid um, a lot of the problems that the rest of the Muslim countries um, have experienced there that that seems like people get a, get along real well and you haven't had any major incidents and and that they've seemed to be able to um, get past the hatreds and 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 the bigot bigotry that some places might have. 
it's Morocco is a slightly different um, place because there is a, a thing in the culture that you take a lot of pride in being Moroccan. So you are you're representing a country, you're representing uh, the people of Morocco, and it is um, it's unfathomable actually to do something of that nature in your own country. Hmm. So I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, like it from, does, a, from yeah. a cultural standpoint. But It'd uh, be like Maui, someone not having aloha or not having the aloha be, spirit, that in Morocco you've got your own way of living and the people have a certain standard that you live by, right? Basically, yes. Yes, and it's, uh, it's, uh, there is a lot of pride in the culture. And, and, and as a visitor there, I felt that. People are mm-hmm. very proud of their country. Um, the two gentlemen that we were with, our driver and guide, were Berber. And, I mean, the Berbers are just really proud to be Berbers. You know, that, that heritage and, the, the, the you know, the period of time that the Berbers have been living in the desert and everything. But I found that, too. Everybody was very proud of their country there. But yeah. the sects don't, and there are different, we mentioned the Berbers, there's other groups and sects, and they don't clash either, do they? No, because the <laughs> fact of being Moroccan comes above uh-huh. uh, ethnic differences or tribal differences. You're Moroccan first, then you're Berber second, or you're Arab second, or European. But you're Mor- being Moroccan comes first. Could I correlate this to Ethiopia? Ethiopia, mm-hmm. Ethiopia, of course, the pride, and we all know Bob Marley and... And, you know, the whole mm-hmm. standard that reggae was founded on, of course, had some extremely strong principles of love mm-hmm. and, and the good vibes and the whole energy of what was done. So there are a few places where that understanding of what it is to be a good country, a good person, and have high standards seem to come above what the pettiness that might separate a country might, uh, and, and, and in many places does separate a country, your understanding of what it takes to be a Moroccan. And I guess the next question would be, what is it? What do you, what were you raised with? What principles of being a Moroccan did you feel growing up? You know, one, one of the main things uh, in, when you're raised uh, as a Moroccan is hospitality. Hmm. Hospitality and sharing. So you can, even if I have, let's say, a a bowl of rice, I will share it with you. So that's a very, very important as in our identity is having that sense of hospitality and having that sense of sharing and always being grateful for what we have. You know, and there is, a, there is actually a saying that it's mostly Persian, but we use it a lot in our culture as well. And um, if I translate it correctly, it's... It goes this way. It's um, I curse the fact that I had no shoes until I saw the man that had no feet. Mm-hmm. So that's like this is a very important thing in our culture, where no matter what our problem is, somebody else has it worse, and we always have to be grateful and kind. You have to be kind, and that's the the greatest gift you can share with other human beings. I, I had a chance to have um, a meal with you at, at, actually, just you had a cup of coffee and I had a shake mm-hmm. at Wailuku Coffee Company. And you told me an interesting fact, which totally makes sense and I think is part of the culture. 
about breaking bread and sharing a meal with someone and what that means in Morocco and in your culture. That's so. If we break bread, that's um, where where there's a bond between us that can't. We're brothers. We're linked forever. So that's a very very sacred. Uh, breaking bread is very sacred in terms of there is no you can't betray the person you broke uh, have broken bread with you know it's it's just like it's very sacred and it's a way for example if you want to seal a deal or something you break bread you share a meal then you can't go back on your word this sounds like something that would be almost a thousand, two thousand years old. It sounds to me something that is so um, authentically um, ingrained in that would have existed maybe a thousand, mm-hmm. two thousand years ago. That could be really in your DNA that this was something that was existing, right? Definitely, definitely. And there is one thing that happens around uh, the table is that even so, we can. I'll give you an example. If you if if you have your worst enemy come in and is hungry and it's time to eat, you share food with your worst enemy, all differences are put aside. Wow. You know, so at that moment where it's time to sit and share, it goes way above any kind of differences or disagreements we might have. Wow, I think this needs to be done in in Israel and Palestine, right? Yeah, <laughs> this could be maybe the whole world. <laughs> maybe yeah. the whole world. <laughs> you know. Maybe the whole world. Thank yeah. you. So. I'm, I'm just going to interject real mm-hmm. quick too. Mm-hmm. One of the things I loved about traveling in Morocco is wherever you go, you are greeted with Moroccan mint tea. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. and that's the hospitality. You walk into a Riyadh or any anywhere we went, we were given Moroccan mint tea and sweets immediately, and that was a really nice welcome. And the sweets would be? Um, they're, they're local sweets. Uh, probably Retta could explain them better, but they're amazing. I mean, I don't know what's in them, but they're really good. But really good cookies and, um, yeah. It's, it's totally, totally true. Like a lot of sweets. A lot of, so mint tea is already sweet. And then you have these cookies that are, like, filled with mint paste and dry cookies like you name it and uh, and that's a way that's that's another like to put the parallel with what we were just uh, speaking about that's a greeting way but it's also like you're you know welcome and you're part of of this of this Mm -hmm. big thing that Mm -hmm. is bigger than any one of us you know and uh, i i'm sure you've experienced that when you went into the market Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's really willing to welcome you and share. Even if you went in to buy something or just look at something, they offered you mint tea immediately and brought yeah. it out with a you know plate of of cookies and yeah. No, it's 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 really a wonderful tradition. And when you checked into a Riyadh, there you know there are accommodations there. You would sit down on these big overstuffed couches and you didn't worry about going to your room. Your bags disappeared and they went to your room and. Moroccan mint tea came out with sweets. So I was like, nice. yeah, this is good. <laughs> okay, let's, let's talk about the, there's a rather famous, I guess, I, should we say reputation or rumors and stories about when Mick Jagger and um, the whole era um, of that time when Mick Jagger and the Stones and many musicians were going to Morocco 
and getting rather stoned, you know, and and mm-hmm. and uh, you know hashish and getting uh, into that whole thing. But um, some of it was videotaped. There were movies done around it. Um, and there was this whole era where people got this impression: if you want to go and be a hippie and get stoned, you go to Morocco because, like, that's a super cool place to do that. And that was an interesting time. And I imagine it was the seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, do the after effects and the stories of that? I mean, it, and the culture around that kind of uh, remain, or that is that kind of so, something that la- made a lasting impression on people? Definitely, definitely. Like growing up, the generation—I mean, my generation, for example—was very, very influenced by um, everything that happened in the seventies in Morocco. Very much so. And to this day, if you go in the south to Essaouira, for example, there is a very like remnants of that era you know in in the music in how the young generation like the, i mean the yo- the younger generation still listens to the stones mm-hmm. or Jimi hendrix mm-hmm. you know yeah. and i mean it's it's very fascinating like just to to have grown up in in that you know and having that fascination with um you know something just as simple as the rolling stones if we take the Rolling Stones, for example. I mean, there is a huge chunk of my generation that really idolized the Stones. Mm-hmm. And, and and for good reason. I mean, we it, it did make a huge influence. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk about that at the same time. This was happening. This was like a huge deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, how do you get past that image and to the image where now, like Sue's experience, where people are traveling and they're not going to rent a villa and all, you know, some of these people would go and just have a party, a constant nonstop party, you know. Um, how did it evolve from that when you were growing up and seeing people come and go, the flow from that to a place where now people come for what the number one reason they come for? Is it tourism now, the number one? I do believe it's the culture. The culture? Uh, I do believe so, yeah. Culture and sightseeing. I mean, um, before it was just the the hippie trail where you would go from Tangiers into the mountains, uh, the reef mountains where the hash crop was very predominant, and then you go down the south. Then you hang out in the south and get blasted. But now it's more of like, you know, we with Facebook, with Instagram, with all these things, people are starting to see the the richness of that culture, uh, the culture, the landscapes. I mean, it's it's a country that is the size of California, but with so many uh, microclimates and so many different landscapes. So we kind of think of it as the desert, but it's more than the desert. There is snow. Yeah. There's snow. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And there's a village that has, um, they have a ski resort and they have chalets. When you go there, you think you're in Switzerland, right? Definitely. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. It's, it is a very diverse um, landscape. I mean, it, it's kind of like Maui where we have all our little microclimates. Uh-huh. Morocco is the same way. You can be in the desert. You can be in the mountains. Um, you can be in these gorgeous gor- uh, gorges. There's mm-hmm. incredible gorges. There's oases in the middle of the desert. I mean, it just, yeah, it, every corner has something different to look at, I think. You know, it was amazing, you know. But th- there is snow there, too, so. <laughs> so so do people now, I mean, it sounds like from what Sue even did in her nine days, 
And as tourism does start to, and it seems like there's more people who are coming as tourists. I think, Kathy, there's some cruises that are making a point of now going to, are there some cruises going to Morocco? There are. They stop maybe in Casablanca, maybe for a day. Uh But But they don't really. You need to to go there, which I want to go spend time. like nine, ten days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to mm-hmm. go to the Blue City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and we I was just talking also before the show began, I've been watching the Jack Ryan series and, and it's really well done. But um it looks like a lot of the scenes are supposed to be in Syria and other places, but um I look and it's it's done and shot in Morocco and and I guess you said that there's a, a burgeoning film uh, business going on, which of course is we're talking big bucks when they're mm-hmm. doing a whole motion picture series or miniseries or movies done there. And you say many movies are now being shot there in Morocco. Yes, in southern Morocco, uh, there's like uh, studios there. There's a bunch of studios. And Sue, you went there. And yeah, we went to one of them. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing because you see all the miniature sphinx and pyramids and stuff that they use in the movies as props and things. But yeah, it's right in the desert. And with a beautiful five-star hotel attached to the studio lot, so wow! And that's where all the actors stay. And yeah, that'd be a cool thing to do. Yeah, go was, down and mm-hmm. spend a night down there. Yeah, and it see was it? pretty cool. Yeah, we stopped and had lunch there. So oh, you yeah. did? Yeah, it was oh, neat. I, yeah. I, that's that's great. And so so there's more income coming in. Do people go? Are there concert festivals? Are there music festivals um, being happening there now? Yes, there is. Uh, there is a uh, so. There's at least three or four music festivals that I know of. Uh, one is in Esawira, which is... Uh, so there is this traditional music in southern Morocco called Gnawa music, which is um, music with influences from Africa. And so every year since 19... I think it started in 1999. They started doing this awesome festival where there's fusion music, where they merge traditional Gnawa music with different you know jazz world, m- world music uh, yes and, yeah. Yeah. and you have a lot of uh, great musicians mm-hmm. and I think one of the first musicians that showed up for one of those festivals was uh, Randy Weston he's like a jazz pianist mm-hmm. if I'm not I mistaken I think Peter Gabriel did some Peter work. Gabriel as well yeah, yes did some work in, he was very he had a world music whole studio and, and he did a whole series I think yes yes, yes definitely it's and, and good drummers you know pe- even Mick Fleetwood and others have learned a lot from the drumming mm-hmm. because there's really a different style of drumming and, and music that comes from Morocco, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Northern Morocco. Northern Morocco. Has a place called Jajuka where the drumming has its own specific pattern. And, if, and again, going back to the stones, Brian Jones went there and he recorded those, uh, that tribe. Really? Yes, wow. you know, and there is a there is a recording from the seventies called the Master Musicians of Jajuka. Oh, really? So if you get your hands on that, it's it's an interesting um, thing to listen to. From you know, right? And I was just going to say we had the opportunity to hear um, a Ganawan group. We went to a village in the desert, and mm-hmm. they played for us. And it was it's really amazing music. I probably have a video on my phone of it, but really amazing music. So we got to experience that, and of course we had the. Green mint tea too. <laughs> <laughs> Is that when you went to the you you went spent the night in the desert, right? Um, it was actually the day before we spent the night in the desert. We actually went to our um, guide's family's home in his village, and on the way 
out of his village because the road dead ends at his village. We stopped at a Ganawan village, and um, we got to meet the people in the village, and then they performed for us. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty neat experience. But it is, and they did talk about that music festival. It's very popular there, very big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I think that's coming up. Uh, I think it happened not long ago. Yeah, like, I think it was just right after we were there, right before we were there, I think it yeah, happened, yeah. June, July or something like yeah. that. Then there is another one in Fez that it's sacred music mm. from around the world. That's another festival. Then there is a jazz festival in Rabat, which is the capital. So it's uh, the, the music scene is interesting. It's very good. So, so for people going to Morocco, people like Kathy and mm-hmm. myself and Sue... Um, there's obviously um, people that want to go and want to make sure they have, and I think more and more people want an authentic experience. Um, and I think that we see this around the world more and more. People are trying to travel, which is sometimes hard to do if you're doing a tour. Um, so you have to kind of carefully figure out how you have that experience, um, where you decide to go, and how much freedom you leave within the room of doing it. Um, so I guess we'll ask you, Sue, when you were going, you, you'd already come and gone to um, Portugal and a river cruise and gone to Spain and then went down to the south of Spain. You did Madrid in the south of Spain, and then you went over to Morocco. How did you plan, you know, knowing you wanted to go to Morocco, how did you plan your trip to Morocco? Okay, so what I basically did was um, I kind of knew we wanted to go there for X amount of time and, and drive around the country. So I actually went online, and I found a company there. It's called Trips to Morocco. And um, I read the reviews, the TripAdvisor reviews, and they got really good reviews. So I contacted uh, the gentleman that owns the business. His name is Mohammed. He's, he's a Berber, and he's from the southern part of Morocco um, down in the desert area. And he got back to me right away, and we talked about what we wanted to do, and he put this itinerary together, quoted us a price, and we decided to to go for it. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this might happen or might not happen. And we just had to give him a deposit, and the balance was due when we when we got there. So I thought that was really fair. And when we got there, we were met at the airport in Casablanca by a driver who took us um, to a hotel right on the Atlantic Ocean, and we spent the night there because we got in a day early. And then the next morning at 9 a.m. when he said the driver and the guide would be there, they were waiting for us in the lobby, and we checked out and got in the vehicle, and we spent the next nine days with him driving around Morocco. And it was all very well organized, and every place we went, we had a local guide like in Fez and in Marrakesh, people who knew the city really well mm-hmm. rather than the driver and the guy that we had they they knew the desert really well because that's where they were from so I have to say it was a really wonderful educational and cultural experience to spend the day with a local guide and it was just my husband and I the two of us so it was it was really nice and um yeah it was a great experience all the way all the way along so and you stayed where you what were the places you stayed at well you know he organized all that and um you can kind of give him an idea you know price wise you want a three star four star five star and you know we kind of picked the mid-range four star and everywhere we went we had a, a riad which are you know old buildings that don't look like anything from outside right they're covered in mud and you go inside and they're palatial they're beautiful mm. so all the riads that we stayed at were really fabulous i have to say they were really really um well thought out and how's the pricing compared to i would imagine most people going have done trips to europe before and gone to european places where it's a how, de- it's a deal it's a deal okay, okay. we we spent for 
nine days, um, nine nights accommodations with a driver and a guide. All the things that we did, the tours, um, we did get to ride camels into the desert, spend the night in a fabulous desert camp, come back out. It was $1,250 a person. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It was amazing. And it was was all pretty first class. I have to say that all the way. Yeah. So it was really um, good value. Yeah. So so as a Moroccan, let's go down and do notes. Um, and 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 you lived there till when did you leave Morocco? Uh, I left in uh, 1999, but I would I would go like to visit my family. You know, so your family's in Casablanca yeah, still. Yeah, they, they still live there. Yeah. yeah. And you you've seen changes, I would imagine, quite a uh, bit of changes because of tourism, right? A lot. A lot of changes. Yeah. So do you feel like it's still? An authentic experience for you when you go back, or you feel like I've got to get out of the city and, and, and go to some other place, you know, that, that to, to actually experience the way I grew up? Actually, you know, growing up in Casablanca, it, it's the same as growing up in any big city. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, 70 to 80% of the economy is in that axle between Casablanca and Rabat. And as soon as you leave, you step into time. It's really fascinating to see that, like, you drive three hours. It's almost like you're back 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we experienced that once we left mm-hmm. uh, Casablanca, went to Meknes, which we stepped down a little bit there, and then to Fez. And then after you left Fez, it was we were in the desert with nomads and, you know, small tribal villages and things like that. Yeah, so it really is. And people don't have cars. I mean, they're using donkeys. You know, that's how they're getting around, you know. So it, it's, yeah, once you get out of the cities. It, and even Fez, to me, in the Medina, mm-hmm. was a, really a step back in time. Like the tanneries where they process all the leather. and I mean, that's quite an experience unto itself. So, yeah. What would tips, would be some tips that you might give people listening? Um, and to me and to Kathy and those that would think, well, this might be a great adventure. What would be the tips you'd give to go to places that you might not necessarily know about um, if you would just go to TripAdvisor? I, I would say to keep an open mind. To keep an open mind and also um, giving people a chance because not necessarily, you know, most most of the time as travelers we think that we're going to be ripped off by so-and-so or this or mm-hmm. that or scammed. But, you know, if you keep an open mind... And just being relaxed about it. And smile. And smile. And it'll go a long and bring way. bring macadamia nuts. Yeah. <laughs> bring macadamia nuts, yes. yes. <laughs> if you have something sweet, yeah. you're good. <laughs> and, you know, and also having the ability to uh, get off the beaten path and just go explore. There are some magical places can you give us a, a a couple of places that you think are magical that people might not normally know about? There is this place uh, in the south on the coast called Mirlift. And that's such a beautiful place. So there is not, you know, it's not and that's very M-I-R? developed. M-I-R? M-I-R-L-E-F-T. Mirlift. Mirlift. That's a beautiful, beautiful place. And it's a beach. Uh, is a be- resort community, beach community. What is the kind of community? It's a beach community, and the landscape is just magical. Really? Uh, yes. What's it like? It's just this. Like, I mean, I surf obviously, so it's a lot of surf spots, but it's just beautiful. It's there's just these beautiful cliffs, and 
it's like this open, open uh, ocean. Mm. It's beautiful. And there is uh, also, a, in that area, there is this white sand uh, beach. Mm. You know, so that's one of my favorite places in Morocco. And another place, I mean, there are a lot of people from Maui that actually go to uh, one of the southernmost tips in Morocco called Dakhla. Yeah. That is a high hub for uh, kite surfing. Oh, really? Yes. So This is, of course, another whole <laughs> subculture we haven't done a lot of talk about, but there's a huge, huge group of people that surf, and mm-hmm. some professionally, and there's all the surf events as well. Mm-hmm. But there are people who just go, and just like people who come here to go surfing. There's people that go to places like that to go surfing, right? Oh, there is a international s- community of, peop- of surfers, right? There's a whole subculture of uh, surfers, wind surfers, kite surfers that make a point of going there and just spend a bunch of months. Really? Uh, months? On the there? road. Yeah. Wow. In Morocco. Really? Yeah. I, I think that um, the surfers know Morocco mm-hmm. really well because we've heard that a lot from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. One thing other things, too, that, and Retta will probably bear me out on this, but it's very easy for Europeans to get to Morocco because it's so close to Europe. And there, it's, there are people just coming over in their four-wheel drive vehicles, and they're driving Taking all over the desert. Taking a ferry from Gibraltar, basically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're, mm-hmm. they're free traveling in the country, and they're driving through the desert in their four-wheel drive vehicles, and they're hiking in the high atlas. So there are a lot of people coming there because it's very easy if you're in Europe to bring your vehicle over. And, and obviously it's more affordable than Italy and, and France. Absolutely. And yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of free travelers there. That's a good point. Um, we haven't talked about the high atlas. Let's talk about that. Well, the High Atlas area, too, is where we were talking about they do get snow there, and there's mm-hmm. a, a ski resort. Is that res- where Winston Churchill went to paint? There was, I think Winston Churchill went to Morocco to paint the mountains sometimes, and I think may have been there. I kind of think it was there that he went to, to, well, to paint. kind of interesting because you have the whole mountain range, so it's High Atlas to Mid-Atlas to Anti-Atlas, and the higher you are, then it the more barren the landscape is, mm. and we saw um, a lot of sheep herders. And we stopped along the road and talked to them, and they let us, you know, hang out with them and stuff, and that was kind of fun. It was particularly nice having the two, our guide and our driver, because they obviously speak the language. So they would take us into some really interesting local experiences, so we got to experience a lot of things with them just along the road. And then, you know, we get into the mid-Atlas, I think, Retta, is where all the gorges are. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, they're the most beautiful carved gorges in the mountains there. You can drive up. And look down on these gorges that, you know, and they're real windy roads and everything to get up there. But they're spectacularly beautiful. And the water is turquoise blue coming down from the mountains through these streams and stuff. And Mm. that was a particularly um, beautiful section of Morocco, I thought, through through the mid-Atlas Mountains and stuff. Um, And then from there, you kind of get into the desert area, which is where we um, did our camel trip. And, you know, one of the neat things about the camel trip was is we had a camel man with us. It was just the two of us. And, I mean, this is what this man has done his whole life and probably every generation before. They live in the desert in a little village in a little, you know, tent with their camels. And the camels are so important to them. They have a language they speak with their camels. Camels go for a lot of money. I, I was reading, I was watching something on TV, but I was surprised how much camels are expensive. Well, this is kind of interesting because um, people aren't using camels that much anymore because there aren't the caravans. Oh. They're using them for tourists right. to actually go into the desert. And they, they've built these really nice um, camps in the desert 
all different levels, three-star, four-star, five-star, whatever, you name it. Is that glamping? Definitely glamping, yeah. <laughs> and, in fact, I'll tell you about our experience. But anyways, you know, we, we, we got on the camels at the end of the day, and we rode out for sunset, and then we were up, went out to the camp. And we got there, it was dark, and there was no lights on in the camp. And I, I said to Dart, I go, I don't think there's anybody here. You know, so the camel man, at this point, it's dark. He lays out his blanket, and he brings out all his little trinkets that he has to sell, like carved camels and, you know, different things like that. He wants us to buy something because you do have the option, if you don't ride the camel back in the morning, they'll drive, they'll come out and pick you up and drive you back through the desert to where your driver will pick you up. So I thought, I think he thought maybe we wouldn't get back on the camels in the morning. So we said, no, no, we'll see you in the morning. And all of a sudden, um, a man appeared with a turban and a caftan on and said, welcome. And we went up and there was our mint tea on a nice, (laughs) (laughs) nice cushy, uh, cushy couches. And then he took us to our tent, which was amazing. King size bed and, um, you know, hot showers, the whole, the whole, really? yeah, I mean, it was amazing. We were the only two people there. So he asked us, what time do you want dinner? And we, that we had two very handsome young men waiting on us and cooking for us. And we had a fabulous dinner under the stars and we spent the night How there. Wonderful. And then we got up at five in the morning and watched sunrise over mm-hmm. the desert. And then we had breakfast and our camel man spent the night with the camels and we got on our camels and rode back. So it was a really, really interesting experience, but it was just mm-hmm. the two of us. So, so it, have you ever ridden a camel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's yeah. why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. And but as a, as as what what uh, kind of camel experience have you had? You know, it was just mostly as a tourist yes, person. A tourist yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in in the especially in the south of Morocco, mm-hmm. that's the that's where you would find that you know, and go. It's a, it's a thing to do. It's the thing to do. (laughs) What I love or uh, why I want to go to Morocco is when you see those pictures, uh, I see them a lot, of the the herd of camels, and they're all in the the sand dunes. Mm -hmm. And and that was the experience we had because we went to, um, I think it's called Arab Chebi. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful dune system. They're um, reds and oranges and yellows, golden. Mm-hmm. So when the sun's setting or mm-hmm. the sun is rising, the colors are just amazing. And we, yeah, we got some incredible. I, how many pictures uh-huh. did you take? A lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> thousands and thousands of pictures that now you got to sort through them all, right? Yeah. Was it mostly on your phone? Um, we had a phone and a camera, yeah. so yeah, we did both. But but yeah, that was a fun experience. And like I said, the camel man, it was interesting. We came back from the camel ride in the morning, and he has a, a language that he used with the camel to get them to sit down on the ground so he can get off. So Dart got off his camel, and I'm just about to step off my camel, and it was on the ground, and I decided to pop back up. And Retta can bear me up, but camels, when you get on them, they lift their back ends up first and then their front ends. So you have to really hold on because it's like you're getting thrown one way and thrown the other way. And so anyways, I went, I said to the camel man, uh-oh, you know, he came back and he did this little, and then the camel went back down. So yeah, just an incredible experience. They they tell you when they're not happy too. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. We've got to talk about the cuisine, the Moroccan cuisine. Now, I mean, I, it seems like it's a combination of Middle Eastern and, and Mediterranean food. And what are your, what is a, 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 when you have a feast, a gathering, what is served? So when you have a feast, um, you have a lot of salads. Mm. That's the first thing. Um, then you have what we call a 
a pigeon pie, chicken pie, which is a sweet and savory dish with uh, what, I mean, with filo dough here, the closest thing that would be uh, comparable to the little pastry that they do is filo dough, and it's filled with a mixture of chicken, almonds, um, cinnamon, sugar, you know, and then it's dusted with uh, powdered sugar and cinnamon. Mm, kind of like baklava, with, but with chicken. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then you have a bunch of tagines and most. What, what, what's tagines or? Tagine is a clay pot where you cook a mixture of vegetables, meat. So the name refers to the vessel, but it also refers to the the dish itself. Like when you go uh, and have a clay pot dish at a Vietnamese restaurant. Basically. It's, it's a clay pot, but different uh, yes. things inside. Well, yes and no, because the tagine is conical-shaped. Oh. So they put all the foods in there with just a little bit of moisture, and then when you cook it, it steams everything in there, ah. and it infuses all the flavors, and it's amazing. So there's lamb, there's seafood, there's chicken, vegetarian, and, ah. then, and then everything, of course, comes with couscous, which is yeah. amazing. We've never had couscous in this country like they have over there. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And then that's that's a, so. And I, it's funny because um, growing up in Hollywood, there was a Moroccan restaurant where all the heavy duty musicians and mm-hmm. PR people would go. It's right on Sunset Boulevard, and it was like the place to go. And you'd go in, and it was all Moroccan style architecture. And you'd go in and sit on the ground, and the, and it's, you'd sit around the table, and you all had these amazing cushions, and then. A central dish in the middle, and I think you ate with your hands. But do you do you serve out of one central dish, and then you all take from the central dish? Or yes, not? you do. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's part of sharing, sharing food. the food. Yeah, and and you know it's it's a cultural thing. So you usually most of the time you will accommodate people if they ask, but most of the time you are going to eat from a communal dish, mm-hmm. and just that's the way it is. It's you eat with hands? You eat with your hands. Mm-hmm. And I mean, more so now. Like, I mean, if you go to Casablanca, people are going to eat with utensils. But mm-hmm. traditionally, you eat a tagine. You know, you're going you're gonna to eat with your hands, scooping, like, using the bread. Mm-hmm. As Interesting. A, and the bread is made in ovens, flat bread, or what kind of bread? It's Moroccan bread is, you know, I, w- I wouldn't consider it as a flat bread. What would you think? So what no, would you compare it's, it to? It's it's has more of a rise to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not a flatbread. It has more of a rise to it, but it's not like a loaf of bread either. It's somewhere would it be, be like an Indian? Uh, no, no it's, like diff- Indian it's different that, again because yeah. they use um, the ones we experienced were a lot of whole wheat grains mm-hmm. in and stuff. And, um, yeah, so it, it has a different density and texture. It's not a flatbread, and it's not like a, a raised loaf of bread. It's somewhere in between. But yeah. they bake it all the time and in you know in traditional clay ovens and stuff too so yeah outdoor ovens and ovens Mm -hmm. yeah 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 or communal oven like you take your bread to the communal oven and the guy remembers every single loaf from every single family yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's a that's a it's a fascinating thing and uh Again, going back probably centuries. And yeah, probably centuries, so. Yeah. Probably yeah, so. We saw that actually. People bring their 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 dough, dough. and they they bake it and they come back. We saw a gentleman in the Medina in Fez with a board on his head with just a hundred loaves of bread oh sitting on top of it, walking through the the Medina with you know tons of people and donkeys and everything else. So <laughs> that was kind of interesting. But yeah, they do yeah. communal 
bakeries. I like that. I like that very much. Why don't you open a Moroccan restaurant here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We don't have a Moroccan restaurant. That's true. We don't. Yeah. He specializes in yoga. I know, but yeah. it could be. <laughs> yoga I, I used to. I used to be a chef. Oh, were you? Yeah, I used to be a Moroccan chef before yoga. Where? Where um, did you I was uh, in France, Switzerland, Ireland. You didn't mention that. This yeah, is a travel show. Is, Where is, did you do it in East France? East Coast. Where you know, in France? In Montpellier. Oh, that's a very expensive area. Yeah. Is that a ski community? No, that's in the southeast, okay. just below the Alps. And it's where I went to college. And, you know, like every kid started cooking. I don't yeah. know if every kid starts uh, yeah, cooking. As I, like, I started cooking <laughs> Moroccan food and I'd never looked back. And after I graduated Did college. Did you cook in any of the restaurants there? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I cooked in restaurants, and after that, I just uh, packed the knives and went to Switzerland, cooked in a Moroccan restaurant there for a couple of years. Oh, my gosh. Where in Switzerland? Uh, Geneva. Oh, Geneva. Yeah. Very high end. Yeah, that a was a... lot of chocolate. It was an awesome experience. <laughs> it lot was, of chocolate. Yeah, a lot of chocolate, <laughs> a lot of... Um, really l- learned quite a bit about that, and then came to the U.S., worked uh, on the East Coast, in, in restaurants? Yeah, then went to where, Ireland. Where in the East Coast? I worked uh, in North Carolina. North Carolina? Of all places, yeah. For, that's <laughs> what happens when you follow a girl. <laughs> and, uh, that's why he's been on this path, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. And then and you go back to where? To I went to Ireland. Ireland? Yes. Where in Ireland? Uh, outside of Cork. Oh, down south. Down south, yeah. yeah. And there uh, just thought... Moroccan cookery, North Africa. Well, African. see, that's one thing. When you're a chef, you can travel, and you can go wherever you want, and, and you can get jobs if you're a good chef, right? It, you, you can get a job anywhere. If you can, if you can cook, uh-huh. you have a great tool. That's a very good point. Like you said, you get your knives. And, and he, you and just keep <laughs> going. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the Do you still have your knives? Still. Yeah, <laughs> so now my wife gets to uh, <laughs> enjoy. She gets to use your knives. So, yeah. <laughs> not even. Not, no, but she not gets to even enjoy she, your she cooking. Eats. <laughs> she eats. But to go back to the cuisine, I just thought about that. If you think about it, the, the melting pot of cultures. So you have the Middle East Persian culture where you see the food that is sweet and salty, mm-hmm. sweet and savory. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Mediterranean influence. Mm-hmm. You have the African influence. And it's really fascinating to see that from city to city. Like the cuisine of Marrakesh is going to be slightly different from the cuisine of Fez. Really? That is slightly different from the cuisine of Casablanca. And people take pride in the regional dish- dishes. And down south, different. Down south, different. And up in the, the, the Atlas. Tangiers, different. You yeah. know, so. But it's, it's a universe of its own, you know. But it's fascinating to understand, like, the, to look at the history you can see the history through the dishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just part of the culture and part of what yeah. you talked about, which is bringing people together. Uh, definitely. definitely. And again, if you're breaking bread and you're sharing that part of the culture through the food, it adds to that because you're bringing the culture in with the understanding of being able to connect with that person through mm-hmm. breaking bread, and then the bread being so different as well. Because, like, I mean, the way you were describing it, Sue, I've, I don't have. I don't think I've had a bread like that. Yeah, I'm trying to see what I could compare it to, but it's definitely not a flat bread, and it's yeah. definitely not a high-rise bread. It's, it's somewhere not. in between. It's probably like, I'm holding my fingers out here, but yes. yeah, dome-shaped, and maybe three inches 
three yeah. to four inches in the middle. Yeah, so it's it's round and dome shaped and, and, and kind of um, heavy, like sourdough consistency, or no, no, not or? not heavy. Um, uh, no, not heavy. No. Not I think heavy. we oh, had I, something similar to that in Egypt. Was it kind yeah. of a thicker? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. E- exactly. It is yeah. similar to the Egyptian bread, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then again, with all the influences that you have in Morocco, so close to, which is such an interesting place itself, Gibraltar, of course. Gibraltar had all the English influence mm-hmm. there, you know, and international cuisine and the English influence. You go to Gibraltar and you see fish and chip places, right? I mean, it's exactly. like, well, what? <laughs> you know, like uh, there's all that English kind of tea rooms even in Gibraltar <laughs> still, you know, so like, and some English accents and things too. So you have all of that in the different cultures merging and blending in an interesting way. We haven't talked about zoos and we only have a couple minutes left. What about the animal and wildlife they're good zoos, and is there different wildlife that people go to to appreciate and understand? Are there wild animal parks? There is a, a bird refuge in southern Morocco. I don't know if you had the chance to go there. Uh, so it's called Wad Massa, and it's beautiful. Like if you're a bird lover, that's like I a am paradise. a bird lover. Yeah, I it's love a, birds. Yeah, you would love that. And I mean, people don't think of Morocco with pink flamingos, <laughs> but you you have that like there. It's a lot of things. Unfortunately, zoos, there is a couple of zoos in Morocco, but nothing. Not, yeah. Yeah. It's I think not, there's one in Marrakesh, but we, yeah. didn't, we didn't go to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not part of the, really, the, the culture of, like, going to the zoo and yeah. all, all that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. then uh, you grow up with the camels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in the Atlas Mountains, there's an interesting uh, animal, like... There's interesting wildlife there, you know. And probably so, wild birds. Yeah, wild birds too, yeah. as well, yeah. If you have different yeah. kind of cultures and different heights and the different mm-hmm. altitudes are going to have different, uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's so much to learn about. It's such a fascinating look, and I, I really appreciate you telling us your personal expect- perspective and yours. And I have to say that you found a, a good thing in the Berbers, it, as we wind it up here in the last minute, what what is the unique thing about Berbers versus other people in the Berber culture? Um, what I found about them is they're very friendly and very welcoming because we did get to go to some of uh, some of their homes and they were very. And I was telling uh, Retta earlier we were there during Ramadan, and I didn't know it was Ramadan and they fast all day. So you know they invite you into their home during the day and they provide you with food even though they're fasting. That's talking once again about sharing food and you know showing you know kindness. And um, they have a, a very intense family connection, um, very uh, s- traditional. They follow their traditions. Like uh, the young man that was our guide, he's getting married in October, and he explained the marriage ceremony to us, which goes on for a week. Wow. And the whole village participates, and her village comes, and she rides in on a camel. And so it was really neat to hear about all their traditions, even these are, even though these are, you know, people in their 30s, and they're listening to rock and roll, and they're dressed in jeans, and, you know, they're trendy looking. But then at times, they would pick us up, and they were in their caftans and their turbans, and that's what they're actually more comfortable in. So if they're in the city, they look like the city, but when they're in the desert, they dress like the desert. So, yeah, yeah but they're very, very proud people. And actually in um, Mar- Marrakesh, they just opened a Berber museum, which we had the opportunity to go to that was really amazing. 
the, whoever put that together, because you don't realize that the Berber, the nomadic tribes of Africa, have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and all different tribes, and they have gathered things together. So that was really educational. So yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, but if you'd like to book a trip, Kathy Takushi, Captivating Journeys, 244-1414, 244-1414, can help you, and um, all this knowledge is gathered so that you can have an experience that's uniquely yours. Um, there's a reason it's called Captivating Journeys. It provides adventures. I mean, trips like this should be a trip of a lifetime. And it should expand your horizons. You should learn and make friends and experience the real place and cultures that bring people together through peace and understanding. So thank you, Rada. Ready, Rada. Rada. I got it. Rada, Rada, Rada. Rada Evolution. And thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Sue, so much. And thanks for thank listening. You.